servants to friends. And to kind of set this up a little bit, um, one of the, the, the ideas that comes to my mind is if, if you've ever read something like Voice of the Martyrs or, you know, something that talks about the persecuted church and you li- read these stories um, about kind of what real Christianity looks like, so to speak. You know, I remember one time where I was reading a story about, uh, I believe it was a pastor and he was, you know, in I, I think a Chinese prison and he had a, a bowl of soup and they didn't give him much food, but they gave him enough to survive, but it wasn't very much. And this pastor had just a little bit of soup and there was another man next to him in this cold, just dark, dungy prison cell. And the pastor goes and, and he, he, he gives his bowl of soup to the other man. Now he's hungry, but he feels like the other man who's sick needs it more than he does. And so he gives sacrificially of himself to help this other man. And this other man is appreciative and kind of confused, like, why would you give me a bowl of soup? And I remember hearing another story, some of you might have heard this, I can't even remember where I heard this, but I remember hearing a story one time about there was a man in prison and the prison cell was very cold and they were freezing and it was winter time and they had kind of a, kind of a wore out, hole-like, ragtag blanket that was just kind of enough to kind of, you know, wrap around his shoulders. And there was another man who was just utterly freezing in the cold. And this person says to himself, if that person was, if that was Jesus, would I give this little blanket to them? And the person said, yes, I would. And so they said, I'm going to treat this person like I would, like as if it was Jesus. And he takes off this little ragtag blanket and gives it to this other person. And you, you see such a, a sacrificial love coming out of some of these stories and out of some of these Christians. And it's, it's utterly astounding to me because we have, like, it, it's, like, in a lot of our culture, I, I hate suffering. I really don't believe in it. I don't want it. And I, and I hope you're, you're on board with me that you, you avoid it too. <laughs> I don't want to suffer, but it's amazing how suffering pulls out of us what's really inside of us and what our, our heart condition is and what our motives are. And, and I think that it's utterly amazing to me how sometimes when we suffer, what can come out of us is complaining. What can come out of us is anger at God, bitterness. God, like, a lot of this is what I've, I'm dealing with myself, okay? So I'm, I'm just going to be honest. You know, God's awesome, and I like him a lot, especially when he does what I want. But God doesn't always do things the way I want them done. Don't be so happy about it. I don't like... <laughs> No, it's true. Like, seriously, I, I, I mostly am good with God, but there are times and there are moments and there are circumstances where things don't go my way, and God feels very removed. God feels like he's not there. He feels like he's not listening. It feels like my prayers are not working. I have prayed the same prayer one million times. God, where are you? And so I think that out of a weariness, I, and I think maybe some of you in this room can relate to this, you kind of get a little, bit, a little bit frustrated with God. You can kind of struggle with faith. You can struggle with a lot of these things and this weariness because how is it that, that so much garbage can come out of us 
when we suffer, like sometimes, some of you, I know, I, I know some of us are suffering like legit things, painful things. And then some of us, you know, we're like struggling over things that other people would view as, hey, that's stupid, get over it. But still, what happens is we complain, we get mad, we start thinking, God, are you even worth following? God, are you, why bother doing the right thing? Because it doesn't seem like the right thing makes any difference. It seems like I could just run away from my pain and I can get what I want right now. I could get instant gratification and find comfort in something else. But instead, God, I'm trying to hold on and to actually believe that you have a a good agenda for me, that you have a good purpose in this. And yet, there are some people, like I said, that when they go through suffering, through the process, there's a refinement that begins to take place. And something inside of us begins to die. And it's so important. I remember hearing the, the story of the, uh, some, I think it was American, it was Western pastors were asking pastors in China on, in the underground church, they said, how do you guys train your pastors so well? And they, they kind of laughed, like, our pastors are, are trained in prison. That's where they get their school of theology. Because there's something that you can learn in a prison cell that you just can't learn when everything's going your way. And quite honestly, some of us are figuratively speaking in a prison cell. Some of us are going through some painful things and you cannot get out of it. And what is God still good in that moment? Well, he is, but the, t- the, the temptation is to get angry and think that he's not. So I want to I pull up a passage of scripture. It's not going to be on the screens. In fact, nothing I have is going to be on the screens today. You're going to have to like, we're going to travel back to the 1990s. You got to like, well, some of you have your cell phones. It's not really the 90s, but pull up your, your digital Bible or your physical Bible if you carried that today. I'm uh, going to be reading all out of the New King James. And I'll be doing Mark chapter 8. I'll give you guys a quick moment because some of you were like, whoa, I haven't done this in a while. Just give you a moment to get it out. Mark chapter 8, that's in the New Testament, spelled with the letter M. (laughs) Thought I'd just help. Mark chapter 8, verse 31. Now this is Jesus talking to his disciples. And in verse 31, Mark chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus, and it says, And he, that's Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Do you ever feel like that's what you've ever had happen where Jesus began to tell you things you didn't want to hear, so you rebuked him. I rebuked that. That's from the devil. Verse 33. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. So, that's a rough day when Jesus calls you Satan. (laughs) Awkward moment. Peter's rebuking Jesus. Jesus is rebuking Peter. Like, nope. Why? Because he's like, listen, you are setting your mind on things of man, not the things of God. You have to think differently. 
You have to shift your, your focus. And then in verse 34, Jesus says, When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and the holy angels. I want to look back here at verse 34. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. I have to deny Daniel. I have to deny Daniel every day. I have to take up my cross, which is an instrument of death, and follow Jesus. There has to be, in God's people, a death. There has to be a crucifixion in our lives. I, I, I don't understand it all. I don't even like it. You know, a lot of the words that we give and a lot of the songs that we sing are, hey, if you keep praying, you'll get your breakthrough. If you keep faith in it, you're going to get your breakthrough. And I, and I believe that wholeheartedly. But I believe that there is a test that we experience in our Christian faith, and you will experience it probably many times over, but there has to come a death to the old person, to the old man. Because if we only follow God because he gives us what we want, what kind of relationship is that? I'll get more into that. But what I want you to see here, whoever desires to come after Jesus, you have to deny yourself. There is no other way around it than self-denial. But he says here, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. How many times have you seen that happen in your own life or in somebody else's life where they sought life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? They pursued pleasure, but actually they got pain. They maybe got immediate gratification, but it brought long-term suffering. But the kingdom is different. He says, if you desire to save your life, you're going to lose it. If you cling to what this world offers, you are going to lose it. But whoever, for, whoever loses his life, verse 35, for my sake, I think that's important. You're not just losing your life. You're losing your life for Jesus' sake. That means you're laying down your life because he's worth it. There's a difference between laying down your life out of duty. There's a difference between laying down your life because of responsibility. But I'm talking to you today about laying down your life because you love God. Even when he feels distant and removed and things are not going well. And so in that place, if we will lose our, our life for Jesus and for the advance of the gospel, it says here, Jesus said, then you'll save it. You'll actually get by letting go, and you will lose by grabbing on. I want to look at another passage of scripture to kind of reiterate this and look a little deeper. John chapter 15. 
is also in the Gospels. And this is Jesus talking kind of uh, shortly before he goes to the cross. John 15, verse 12. Here, page is flipping. I'll wait. All right. This is my commandment, verse 12, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one in this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Think about that. Greater love has no one in this than to lay down your life. That is the most beautiful thing you could ever do. The greatest measure of true and genuine love is laying down out of love. And Jesus did that for you and for me. He laid down his life not just because he's good, not just out of duty, but simply because he thought you were worth it. You were a treasure worth pursuing. You were a treasure literally giving up his life. And so Jesus loves us, and out of love, he lays himself down for us. And then he goes on to be talking to us about us doing it. His greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. I always thought that was kind of a weird thing. Like, I'm your friend if I do what you say? It's kind of an interesting thought, but it, it, it's, it's, it's accurate because Jesus said it. But the more you live it, the more you're like, yeah, I get this. This works. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. So Jesus has been in relationship with his disciples for some time. And they have had more of a servant-master type relationship. And I believe that's usually where we start in our walk with God. He is Lord, we are servant. He has to, we have to start there where he gets to be in charge. And as you build this relationship, we begin to discover what the disciples are experiencing this moment. Jesus said, we're changing the relationship in this moment. I used to call you a servant, now I call you my friend. Do you want to have a servant relationship with Jesus, or do you want an upgrade into friendship? A servant does what they're told to do in like a contractual type relationship. I will feed you, I will clothe you, I will take care of you, but you've got to do A and B and C. When I go to Walmart or I go to a fast food restaurant, I am paying people money to serve me. I will pay them, they will give me what I want. That's a contractual type relationship. And if I go there and they don't do a good job, I say I'm taking my business elsewhere. That mindset can affect all of our relationships, but especially on our, our walk with God, our, our, our Christianity. We can live on the lower level where we say, God, I will follow you 
because I think that if I follow you, my life will go better. Now listen, if you follow Jesus, your life is going to go better. But is that why you're following him? Now a lot of times we start there. You know, we're depressed, so we run to God. We're lonely, so we run to God. We're addicted, so we run to God. In fact, a lot of the times, the reason we run to God is because we need a higher power to help us. And he is so good and he's so faithful that how many times when we didn't have it all together, Jesus stepped into our circumstances and he brought peace in the middle of the storm. He carried us through the storm. He was our strength when we had no strength. He was our love when nobody else loved us. When all others abandoned, he was there and he saw the tears and he saw the pain and he saw you and he loved you. And out of that place, it's so easy to be like the Israelites were under Moses' leadership. Every time Moses gave them what they wanted, they praised God. And every time they ran into an obstacle, they would complain and say, why didn't you just kill us in the wilderness? It would be better for us to run away. It would be better for us to go back to the way things were. And so today I'm, I'm challenging you because I believe that everything I'm telling you is what I'm going through myself. I believe that God is upgrading the relationship because the beautiful thing about friendship is it says here, he says, for all, in verse 15, for all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. That means that God reveals secrets to his friends. He does not reveal his secrets to servants. Do you want to have that friendship where God says, hey, I can trust you. I can trust you with my secrets. I can trust you with my heart. How many times have Christians, maybe famous ones in, this, in our circles, or maybe in our own lives, did we turn on God when we got angry at him? I believe God wants a friend that will be loyal to him when they're upset with God, that will not betray him, that will not violate his heart. I believe that Jesus is looking for people he can trust his heart to and say, I will give you secrets. It starts with lordship, and it never leaves, in all honesty. You're going to be my friend if you do what I tell you to do. But if you obey me, and lay down your life in love for me, then I can bring you into a closer relationship with me than you've ever known. Now, I want to turn to a passage of scripture that's kind of a weird one, and it's in 2 Samuel chapter 24. I don't have time to get all into it because it's just one of those stories that you can chew on for a while, but I'll pick it up kind of towards the end. Matthew of Matthew, 2 Samuel chapter 24. Now, to kind of set this up before we get into this, um, David makes a mistake. And to make a long story short, David essentially finds his strength in himself, not in God. And because he puts his confidence in his army and in his might, a plague is unleashed on the nation of Israel. 
And as this plague is going through the land and devastating and killing people, God has God is just so merciful that God wants to stop the plague. And so God stops the plague, but then he tells David, I want you to make an altar. I want you to make a place of sacrifice. And so David comes to an actual location. It's actually the same location that uh, Abraham laid his son Isaac on the altar. He's saying, I want you to go to the exact same spot and I want you to build me an altar. And the, the person who owned it, I, I'm not even sure how to pronounce the guy's name. Aronaut is what I'm going to call him today. You can call him whatever you want. But we're going to pick it up in verse 21. So 2 Samuel 20, chapter 24, verse 21. Then Aronaut, who owned the land, said, Why is my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor from you, to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. Now Aronah said to David, Let my lord the king take and offer up whatever seems good to him. Look, here are oxen for burnt sacrifice and threshing implements and the yokes of the oxen for wood. All these, O king, Aronah has given to the king. And Aronah said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. So David shows up and says, Hey, I'm going to buy your land. I'm going to buy uh, you know, your animals. I'm going to buy all this stuff. And I'm going I'm to build an altar. And I'm going to sacrifice an animal to God. This is going to be an act of worship. Because in, in, in the Old Testament, worship meant sacrifice. Worship meant death. Worship meant an offering unto God. And then in verse 24, after Aranah says, here, take it. Just take it all. I'll give it away free. I'll give you the land. I'll give you the materials. I'll give you the animals. You just go and you offer up an offering to God from, that I give you. Then the king said to Aranah, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord heeded the prayers for the land and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. What I want you to see here is a very famous line, but I want, you to, I want us to like get hit in the face with it today. Just let it just become a new thing. In verse 24, David says, No, I will not accept a free offering from you because I will not give God an act of worship that costs me nothing. David understood the power of relationship, and he understood that God was a relational God. And he also understood that worship in our Christian lives is the centerpiece of our lives and our living. And what that means is, what makes worship meaningful is that it's not free. It costs 
God doesn't just want a song. God doesn't just want a routine. God wants love. When you go through your life and you experience pain, in that moment of pain, you have an opportunity to offer up to God something that costs you something. If you go and it's Easter Sunday and life is great and ham's in the oven and you're going to see all your family and you're singing praise to God, it doesn't cost much. And if it doesn't cost much, I want to be careful with this, but I'll say it, it's not worth that much. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. Listen, Our worship, and by worship I mean the way we treat our husband and wife, by the way we study in school, by the way we sing a song, by the way we drive down the road. The scriptures give this idea that we are the sacrifice. We are the offering. And in the same way, in the Old Testament, a sheep or a goat or a bull was put on an, off, on, on an altar and they killed it. And they said, God, this cost me something. Why? Because that was their money. That was their wealth. That was dinner. And dinner is now being offered up to God. My wealth is being returned to God as a thank offering. God, I thank you that everything I have in life comes from you. Everything I am is by your mercy and it's by your grace. And so when I understand Old Testament imagery that when I'm offering worship, I'm offering a gift. But in the New Testament, worship is not about the blood of animals. It's about us. We become what the scriptures call a living sacrifice. It means every day we live on the altar. Every day we live crucified. We are both alive and we are dead. We are moving forward, but we're not living for ourselves. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And for a lot of this, this is not new information, but I believe there's a a call in the spirit today to refresh and to renew our hearts because it can get easy. You might know it in your head, but sometimes we just coast through life, you know, when, when... Things are going well and we get into habits and there's not much sacrifice. Or for many of us, we're going through a long period of suffering, a long period of weariness, and you start to just feel so wore down. This is a time that you can offer God an offering that will bless his heart emotionally. You can emotionally move and an emotional God who has feelings and who has thoughts and who has love for you. God does not want robots. He does not just want slaves or servants. He can do that so easily. The angels are coming and going at his command. He doesn't need your help. But what he wants is a friendship where we lay down our lives out of love because when you are suffering and in pain, you can offer him worship that you will never be able to offer him in heaven. When you are in heaven and you see the glory of God and he is amazing and he is wonderful and all you feel is peace and all you feel is contentment and you see his wisdom and you think to yourself, everything he did was perfect. Everything he did was right. There was not one mistake that God ever made. You are holy. 
set apart, perfect, without blemish. You are exalted and above all other things. In that place, it's going to be easy. And the Lord is going to be okay with that. He's going to be okay with the love that we have for him in heaven. And it's going to mean something to him. But here, right now, you can complain about your pain. You can get mad at God concerning your pain. Or we can dial up the relationship and be like, God, I don't understand, but I will worship you. I don't like this, but I will love you. I don't know what's going on, but I will let everybody know that my God is good, and I will lay down my life as a living offering. And this will cost me something, and because it costs me something, it's going to be worth something. Now, I want to shift, not shift is the wrong word, but I want to go to another passage of Scripture and kind of look at things over something that I believe might be kind of a prophetic word um, out of John chapter 10. I, I, I have been, the Lord has been speaking to me through several passages along the lines of what I'm about to read to you. And I, I feel like this is kind of a, a word for some people that are in the room or maybe you're watching online that this, this passage of scripture is, is your marching orders. It, it's gonna be something that uh, I, I hope will connect the dots for some of us because I believe that of all the things that I'm saying that this is kind of the, the prophetic part of it. So in John chapter 10, pick up in verse 11, this is Jesus talking. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. So Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd. He's saying, I'm giving my life for my sheep. He's saying, but a person who's paid, when they see the wolf coming, they're gonna run away because this isn't worth it. He's saying, I'm the good shepherd. I'm about to die. I'm about to suffer. When the wolf comes in, I am going to stay here. I'm gonna take the pain and the sheep will be protected. But a person who's in, in it to get what they can get out of it, when the deal is no longer working out for them, they're going to bail. So I want to go a little further. In verse 14, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Verse 17. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. 
What I want you to see here is looking at this idea of the wolf coming. I personally have felt for the last month or two through various scripture verses like the Lord spoken to me, Daniel, will you run when you see the wolf coming? When there's spiritual warfare, when there's demonic assault, when things get hard, will you stay in the game or will you run away? Now, sometimes it's very possible, how do I say this, to physically stay in the game, but mentally and emotionally shut down. I have done that. I have done that when things got hard. I I didn't quit my job. I didn't completely stop, but I kinda, in my life, went through the motions. And I, I, don't, I hope this isn't like some horrible prophetic thing, but I believe there's a lot of people in this room that the Lord is speaking the same thing to you that he's saying to me. When the wolf comes, will you leave my sheep? When the enemy comes in, will you run away? Because the choice that you make will affect other people. If you are a parent, a friend, an employee, when we run from pain, it just causes so much devastation. And I just want to encourage you today. I'm reading a book called Leadership Pain. Whew, it can be hard to read that book sometimes. It's like, oh, it brings to mind a lot of things that I bottle up, a lot of things that I just kind of shove to the side. But when you have ashes in your life, the temptation is just to run. I just want out of the pain. And I believe the Lord is saying, will you stay in the game? Will you keep believing? Will you keep praying? Will you keep serving? Will you keep loving? Will you stay in the fight and worship me? Because Your circumstances may change, but I believe part of this is a matter of we have to change. We have to lay something down that we've had since we were born, that self-preservation. We were born looking out for ourselves. One of the first words we all learn is mine, mine, mine. And we all did not have to be taught how to hit when people took our stuff. You have to teach a kid not to hit. They learn how to hit all by themselves. And so we are being summoned today, I believe, by the Lord to take a fresh stand. Because I think a lot of us can be like, oh, Lord, I'm just so weary. I can't do it anymore. And God's like, no, no. You're not this wimpy, pathetic peon. You're not this weak sauce Christian. You are a mighty soldier in my house. I think it was last week, Pastor Tim made mention of Gideon. I love how in the story of Gideon, the angel, or probably Jesus, probably Jesus showing up, says, you calls him a mighty man of valor, and Gideon's like, not me, I'm hiding a wine press. 
And I know you feel like that. I, I feel like that. But I believe the challenge to you and I today is stand. Stand. Don't run from pain. Don't run from your marriage. Don't run from relationships and hard conversations. Don't run from the job just because it's hard. Don't ignore your schoolwork just because it's hard. Don't just, it's time to brace yourself, ladies and men, like a man. Did that come out right? I meant to, I think I meant to say it that way. The scriptures say brace yourself like a man, so I can say that too. God says that. Brace yourself like a man. There, there has to be, there has to be an upgrade in the relationship because God wants a closer relationship with you and with me. He wants to tell you his secrets, but he wants to trust you. He wants to trust you, and to trust you, he has to do a heart work. The obedience creates testing, and the testing is for our cleansing and for our transformation. Kitty, you want to come up here, and everybody else, you want to stand up? We're going we're gonna to end a little early, but I got up here early, so that's all right. You guys are just like, you're just blessed and highly favored getting out early. Do, uh, do we have a prayer team? If you're on the prayer team, come to the front. All right, so I'm going to pray. Uh, when I'm done, you guys are welcome to receive prayer, come up for prayer. If you're in a fight, ask, ask one of these people to agree with you. There's power in agreement when it comes to prayer. So I'm going to pray, and then you'll be dismissed. Father God, we offer up ourselves to you as a living and holy sacrifice. God, we want to be acceptable to you. We want to honor you. We want to bless you. In church right now, just take a moment to talk to God for yourself. It's time to offer up yourself as an act of worship. It's time to offer up your love to him. And if you need to repent or ask for forgiveness, do that right now. If you've been complaining, clean it up. Just fix your gaze on Jesus for another moment. Fix your love upon him. He loves you. He doesn't just want you to serve him. He wants you to accept his love. And he wants to have a real relationship with you. If you have not given your heart to Jesus, now would be a good time. Just all you have to do is say, God, forgive me for my sins. Come and be my Lord. Come and be in charge of my life. I surrender to you, and I believe in you. 
God, we offer ourselves to you. Help us, Lord, to worship you in a way that truly honors you. In Jesus' name, amen.